0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It has been said and well understood that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. But what does that mean? that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. What it mainly means is that the majority of people are not willing to get involved in a discussion or in a situation where, well, somebody might feel uncomfortable, somebody might feel like they're the loser or the winner, and you know what, I just don't want to take the risk. So, today on Viewpoint, as always, we're going to take the risk. But how risky is it for believers to reason together? Quite frankly, it's very risky. Very risky indeed. In fact, every single day I come on this program for the past almost 28 years now, I have had to take a risk. Some days are riskier than others. Some situations, some subjects are riskier than others. But every day is a risk. Some people wonder actually how I could even stay on the air, because I deal with subjects that few are willing to touch. Why are people unwilling to touch many of these subjects? Because they think fools rush in where angels fear to tread, and they're just not willing to take the risk. And so I believe that one of the great fall downs of Christians today is that we are not willing to to take the risk to deal with some of the most important and serious issues of our time. Now, the problem is that there are people that have different viewpoints, different opinions. And the moment you have different viewpoints or different opinions is the time where the risk factor comes in. And so, the majority of people are not willing to deal with things on their radio or television programs That are not consistent with what they perceive to be their, shall we say, their base, or those who provide the greatest affirmation or donations and so on, that's where the cutoff is. Anything that goes into that, that challenges those things, well, we just can't deal with, can't afford to deal with it because the risk is too great. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to take that risk again, and we're going to talk about how to reason together as genuine followers of Christ. You notice I didn't use the word Christian? There's a reason I didn't use that word, because just the mere use of the word Christian is susceptible to too many definitions, too much understanding and misunderstanding, and everything in the and their brother could be included within the word. But a genuine and true follower of Jesus Christ, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Now, you notice that we have not characterized you as to any particular political belief. We haven't characterized you as to any particular issue that has arisen within the body of Christ, either heretofore or now. We haven't characterized its genuine, serious believers in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot that's implicit in that. When you say a person is a serious believer in Jesus Christ, that means that they don't just believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they don't just believe that he was born of a virgin. They don't just believe certain religious facts, in other words. They believe the essence of what Jesus' life was about, why he came, and what he expects of those who claim to be his followers. You see, all of that is included in the summary statement of a serious or sincere follower or believer in Jesus Christ. If we don't believe that, we automatically have an argument. I can tell you, friends, that With regard to almost every single subject we discuss on this program, somebody has an argument, somebody has a disagreement, somebody has a different viewpoint, and they would love to argue it. And to the extent that they could find somebody to come on the program, oh, they would love to hear what that person has to say to verify or validate their particular position. But the problem with that kind of thinking is this. God is not uh, interested in us vindicating our positions. He's interested that we deal with his truth with integrity. And the mere desire to have somebody vindicate my position is not necessarily rooted in integrity. It's just rooted in, I want what I want. And I want somebody to agree with my viewpoint so that I can feel better about my viewpoint. And hence, it goes on and on and on. So you can understand then why even the title of our program, Viewpoint, has very significant uh, value and depth of application that perhaps is not visible on the surface. Now, last week... I interviewed a gentleman, a very fine gentleman, by the way, which I acknowledge to be a very fine uh, gentleman and uh, serious believer. His name is Paul Wozniak. And uh, I interviewed him concerning his book, which I have here uh, beside me, called Shabua Millennium, actually Shabua Millennium, uh, Long-Term Biblical Timing. And I chose to bring him on, not because I agreed with everything that was in his book, but because I felt that what he was dealing with, with regard to the subject of weeks, the Shabua, or Shabua, the weeks, that was extremely important for believers to understand. That's the reason I brought him on. Oftentimes, I will bring on guests that I don't agree with on everything. In fact, I suppose, if I look further enough, that... uh there would be many things I would disagree with a particular guest on, but that's not why we're here in the program. We're not here in the program to be disagreeable. We're here to talk about things that matter, and I want, when I'm not talking myself, I want to bring out matters that God has put on other people's minds and hearts that I believe that the body needs to hear, whether or not I agree with everything they say. So oftentimes what I will try to do is avoid those things where I know there's going to be profound disagreement because it's not going to go anywhere. A man convinced against his will will be of the same opinion still. On the other hand, there are certain situations where there's a crossover between the main subject that we're dealing with and another area that puts that subject in question. In other words, the foundation for the conclusions that are being reached by the guest may be put, uh, compromised, or put in question by certain foundational things that the person stands for that the body needs to know about. And that's what we did On our program last week. Oh, but I received several very disappointing comments from listeners. That's right. I'm going to read a couple of those to you. And then I'm going to read what I responded to one of them. And tell you what some other people have had to say. And then we're going to go further. This is not a justification of anything today. In the first chapter of Isaiah, we find God, through the prophet Isaiah, taking Israel to task in a very big way. In fact, it's a very confrontive, very confrontive way. Let's see what the prophet had to say, what God had to say to his people through Israel. Isaiah, the prophet. Here's what he said. Concerning Judah and Jerusalem, the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. You have forsaken the Lord, you have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? Why should revolt any more? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. Your country is desolate; strangers are devouring it. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like Gomorrah. So hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? Don't bring any more of your vain, worthless oblations. "'Calling of assemblies, even solemn meetings, "'I am ready to bear with them,' said the Lord. "'And when I spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes. "'When you make prayers, I will not hear them. "'So wash you and make you clean, "'put away the evil of your doing, "'cease to do evil, learn to do well, "'seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, "'judge the fatherless. plead for the widow, come now, "'and let us reason together,' says the Lord." Well, how do you reason with the Lord when he's just laid this trip upon the people in the most direct and excruciating way? Do you think those people are going to take all of that sitting down and they're going to clap their hands and jump for joy with that message? Absolutely not. Yet I put in the margin a word also for America. Would not God say exactly those same things to America today? Indeed, he would. Would everybody be happy about it? No. Would there be people in the church that would be unhappy about it? Yes. Would there be pastors who would rise up against it and take issue with it? Yes, they would. They're doing it to this very day because they don't want to deal with these issues. Why don't they want to deal with them? Because their base doesn't want them to deal with it. Because their donors don't want them to deal with it, and the pastors are scared spitless that if they deal with it, bad things are going to happen, and now what will happen to my ministry? So there's no place to reason together. There's no foundation to come together and reason together from God's viewpoint. Now, when you come to reason together from God's viewpoint, he doesn't mean, come on now, let's sit down and let's see where we can compromise. No. What he's saying is, I'm God, you're not. How about agreeing with that proposition? I'm God and you're not. You've been created in my image, and I have the right to hold you accountable. So how about you just agreeing with that? Let's sit down and you agree with that finally, at long last. Confess it, repent, and let's get on with it. That's what it means. He said, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured with the sword. Come now and let us reason together. Do you know that it has become almost impossible to reason together in the body of Christ? I'm going to give you some illustrations as to why that is and how that is and what you and I It probably affects every single one of us. Because we live in a cancel culture, don't we? Did you know that cancel culture did not begin with the cancel culture as we know it? It began in the church. Oh, yes, it did. It's been going on for a very long time, as a matter of fact. But that having been said... I want to go back, as I promised. This is a letter that I received from uh, one of our listeners to uh, last Thursday's interview with uh, Brother Paul Wozniak. Chuck, I'm willing to express my disappointment. I'm writing to express my disappointment with how you treated Paul Wozniak. I'm a new listener of your show. I was interested in this author's book, which I did buy. You started arguing your point view and not treating Paul very nice. You should have let him keep talking about the sevens or the weeks. I wish we would have heard more about the book. And yes, you were arguing. And I disagree with your mid-trib belief. That's the heart of his argument, friends. If you don't understand it, that's the reason why, the real reason why this listener is responding. Because he doesn't believe in anything other than a mid-trib or a pre-trib rapture. He doesn't believe in a mid-trib rapture. He doesn't believe in a pre-wrath rapture. He believes in a pre-trib rapture. And anybody who's going to disagree with that is not, he's not willing to have a reasonable conversation with. That's the essence of it. Another wrote similarly. Then I received a comment, a live comment from someone who had listened to the program, and that person went on at some length and talked about how difficult a subject it was that we were dealing with. He understood why I was trying to interrupt to make sure that we were talking on definite uh, suppositions that we all understood so that we didn't end up with unreasonable conclusions. He said, I understood that. I felt that you did a great job doing it. And no, you didn't have a bad attitude. So you see the two viewpoints. I understand it. I do believe me. I knew when that program was over that we were going to have, well, I would ask the question, was the risk worth it? Now, here's one that I received. I really enjoyed your great uh, Paul Wozniak uh, interview. You should have him back on the program again. But next time, actually let him express his viewpoint instead of dominating the whole conversation. You don't have hard evidence of mid or post-tribulation rapture either, so you should let him talk. Sounds like you're the one set in your ways about the rapture, not just him. Well, there's a lot implicit in this comment, and I appreciated the comment, and I I thanked the person for it and sent a very long email. He said you should have him back on the program again. I will. In fact, Paul Wozniak and I had a wonderful conversation after the program in which he begged me to just Have some more conversation with him because he saw it as a legitimate conversation between two believing lawyers. He's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. And lawyers think differently. Lawyers think about we don't think about argument as getting into a blistering disagreement with somebody. An argument is something where you have a give and take, you reason together, you look at various aspects and hope that you can come to a conclusion. For a lawyer, you present your position, that's an argument. An argument is not something that's blistering, unfriendly, uh, argumentative. No. But to most Christians, they can't take it. They just can't take that. It You have to have a nice, sweet conversation in which there's agreement, or they get upset. And particularly they get upset if you're talking about something that rubs against their predetermined position, which in this case was the pre-trib rapture. So here was my response to this brother. Thanks, Rob, for your feedback. Not surprising, Paul actually did not take our conversation the way you apparently think. In fact, he wants to talk more, but not on the air. This was, in effect, an open discussion between two strong believers that ultimately took the turn toward pre-trib rapture precisely because he predicated his entire hypothesis or viewpoint considering the timing of Christ's return upon three opinions, not facts. One was the date of creation, which he could not firmly establish. Two was the day Adam and Eve sinned, which he could not establish at all. And three was a pre-trib rapture, the date which he thought he could establish and couldn't. So all three of his presuppositions were false. They could not be dependent upon as facts from a Christian or biblical worldview. But he did. And I needed people to understand that. That was not the reason why we had him on the program in the first place. It was to discuss, as he knew, the matter of the issue of weeks, Shabu, and how that follows and tracks from God's uh, program for history. But he found it necessary to go beyond and tie it in to an issue in which there is absolutely no agreement and that is the pre-trib rapture. So here was my response to him. Further response. Each of those were discussed like two sincere guys in the family room seeking truth, requiring an element of sparring, needing to continually make the overhearing listener aware of the presuppositions upon which seemingly conclusive statements were being made. While that may seem uncomfortable, it's nevertheless necessary, otherwise people are prone to accept opinions as fact. Conforming to their pre-existing opinions, if the thrust of Paul's book and Shabuah concept had been tied, had not been tied into the pre-trib rapture so thoroughly, it would not have required delving into that issue to the extent that we did. Regardless of who may be right, he well understood that, and while it may have been a bit frustrating for him as a guest. To not be able to present his view without any questioning response, it was necessary both for him, for me as host, and for our listeners. There was no disrespect, but repeated affirmation of his diligent study and genuine truth seeking. True, strongly held, uh, too strongly held beliefs or convictions being discussed sincerely and without animosity or disrespect. This kind of discussion is almost never afforded in our religiously partisan evangelical world. And I concluded, in Kingdom Service, Chuck. Now, now you know the rest of the story there. I want to go further here because this is so important for Christians. You know, we hear a lot about uh uh we don't use the word argument. Uh, we use a different word that we uh, kind of, we, we use the word apologetics. And everybody seems to love the word apologetics. But you know what the word apologetics means? Arguing. That's what it means. It's presenting an argument. So anybody who favors apologetics is into arguing. Well, at least from that standpoint. So, is that wrong? No. It depends on the kind of arguing or argument that's being presented. It depends upon the attitude of the mind and the heart. Everything in the Christian life depends upon our attitudes. God is every bit as concerned about our action and our attitudes as He is our actions. So, here's what I did. In order to try to take this out of anything where I would express my opinion or viewpoint, because I am uh, in charge, so to speak, of this program, and therefore have tremendous responsibility to make sure that what passes here in the name of Christ is consistent with the word of God and the name of Christ. That's what we were trying to do there with Mr. Wozniak. Now, here is what Merriam-Webster says about the word argument. The act or process of reasoning or discussing. Did you hear that? The act or process of reasoning or discussing. That's exactly what we were doing last Thursday. Another, a reason given for or against a matter under discussion. So each of us was giving a reason for a matter under discussion. Now, here was the problem. The problem was that uh, I interrupted a number of times in order to try to advise our listeners, and I have a responsibility to do that, to advise our listeners of what was taking place and the foundation the, the so-called factual foundation upon which uh, Paul Wozniak was going to make his position. Because if they didn't understand that, they would accept hook, line, and sinker, what he said, as truth. And that could not possibly be true. Was I right in interrupting? We'll talk about that.
1: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries.
0: Today on Viewpoint, we're using a situation that arose in last Thursday's program with my interview with Paul Wozniak, by the way, a dear brother, and uh, I appreciate him, I appreciate his uh, vast uh, research and biblical sincerity, and I gave credit to that over and over during the program, where I made a mistake, if I were to do it again, I would not interrupt so many times as i did i understand how that was very interruptive but my only oppor- the the only option that i would have then is knowing where he was going to go with it i would have to make a preemptory statement up front much like a lawyer would make to a jury in opening argument or an opening statement to tell them that the things that are going to follow are predicated on certain convictions or beliefs that our guest has, and you need to understand that because those cannot be established, which he admits. Then I might have to finish the program by reiterating those things so that everything that was said would put was put in a proper context. Well, that itself would be offensive to an awful lot of people. Why? Because they agreed with Mr. Wozniak's position with regard to pre-trib rapture. So anything that would be said contrary to that would be deemed argumentative, unfair, unfortunate, uh, disagreeable, whatever term you want to add to it. Now, that having been said, I will be having further conversation with uh, Paul Wozniak because he's my brother and he asked me to do that and we're going to do that. That's wonderful. Come now, let's reason together. Two lawyers, understanding lawyer-like thinking and reasoning, can come together to talk intelligently without warfare. Now, Let me go to a series of secular sources. Again, here's one for the etymology of the word argument. Statements, first of all, statements and reasoning in support of a proposition are causing belief in a doubtful manner. It comes from an old French word meaning reasoning or opinion. Isn't that what we do here on this program? Viewpoint, reasoning and opinion? In fact, the Apostle Paul said that the essence of our warfare is to bring every one of our thoughts, our imaginations, or reasonings and thoughts into agreement with the Word of God. That's what the Apostle Paul said we are to do. But unfortunately, in this day and age, we don't like that very much. It comes also from the Latin word, argumentum, which means a logical argument, evidence-grounded, support, or proof, or to make clear or proof. To make clear or proof. Now, the interesting thing is that up until about 1600, the 1590s, that was the understanding of this word almost exclusively. Then, by 1911, it started to pick up the idea of a quarrel. I'm sure that some people thought that's what we were doing. No, Paul Wozniak and I were not quarreling. We were reasoning together. In the year 1300 came this definition, to make reasoned statements to prove or refute a proposition, to maintain an opinion or view. To make clear, make known, declare, or demonstrate. This, my friends, is the kind of argument that Christians should engage in. Word Nick on the internet, a discussion in which disagreement is expressed, a debate. A course of reasoning aimed at demonstrating truth or falsehood. Even in the kids' definition... Dictionary, a discussion, a reason in favor of or against something. The Cambridge Dictionary, a reason or reasons why you support or oppose an idea or suggestion. The Collins English Dictionary. An argument is a statement or set of statements that you use in order to try to convince people that your opinion or viewpoint about something is correct. Notice, in none of these is anger or vitriol expressed as a primary uh, aspect of argument. Yet today, that's how we think of it. But that's not how lawyers think of it. And I don't think that's how God thinks of it either, because he is a God of law and order and love. I want to read to you a whole list of synonyms uh, that came from wordnick.com. And there are hundreds of these, and I'm only going to read to you maybe 30 of them. Then I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask you which ones of these words applied, if you listened to the program last Thursday, which one of these or, or ones of these actually applied? Altercation, apologetics, bickering, disagreement, argumentation, brawl, defense, conflict, contention, disputation, combat, Controversy, dispute, fight, pros and cons, response, objection, fracas, squabble, logic, pleading, sharp words, strife, position, standpoint, war of words, wrangling, rebut, retort, fallacy, reasoning, persuasion, ad hominem, Contend, counter-argument, answer. And that's from a list of about 100 words, and there are many more that we could go along with. But this is just for illustration. Now, here are the words from that list that I believe have application to the discussion that we had last Thursday. Apologetics. Disagreement. Disagreement of what? Disag- not disagreeable, disagreement over a couple of points. Uh, controversy, logic, objection, pros and cons, response, standpoint, position, rebut, reasoning, persuasion, contend, answer, and counter argument. Those were all aspects of the conversation, of the reasoning together. The others are all expressions of Bad attitudes, negativity, and that, my friends, is what is inherent in most Christian argument today. Bad attitudes, and this is the reason why. About ten years ago, not only did we remove uh, call-ins on this program, because people could not stay on point. They like to argue Not so much necessarily argue with me, but present all kinds of other arguments. And the spirit of the program was lost. Then we finally had to remove the ability of people to respond on the Internet and leave their comments. Why? Because Christians were filling up those pages with all kinds of very nasty kinds of uh, uh, wording and so on. Radically inconsistent with the Christian life, with everything that we were trying to do. Revealing that Christians have become just like the world in their attitudes. And that, my friends, is what we are trying not to have happen here on this program. That's why we do not use labels. We do not use labels. Because labels become libels. And they so cut off communication at a reasonable level that we can't reason together anymore. You've been labeled. That's an ad hominem attack. Name-calling. And as Christians, we use all kinds of words for name-calling. We Christianize name-calling. Were there a this, or there a that, or there a this, or there a that? And so we cut off communication. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You and I must come to the place, especially in times like these, where we're coming together in the unity, in the bond of truth and the faith. Yes, there are things, issues that we disagree on. But the, the goal is that, if possible, we come into agreement on them. One of, why don't we come into agreement on many of these issues? Would you like to know why? Because we don't want to. We just don't want to. We want to hold on to a particular position until death do us part. Why? Well, there are a variety of reasons why. I'm going to give you an illustration that uh, came about. It started about 40 years ago. It had nothing to do with me. About 40 years ago or so, a very well-known uh, Christian leader into missionary work and also into Uh, the world of uh, ministering to Israel, the Jewish people, and and, uh, areas of eschatology and prophecy. He was very well known. He was part of the regular circuit of speakers concerning matters of end times, eschatology, and so on. He believed, as did so many people coming out of the Schofield Reference Bible in the early 1900s, he believed in the Pre-Trib Rapture. And that was his claim to fame, as it is for the majority of those who are in those speaking groups. And they're speaking groups. They travel around. They're all called to speak at certain times. They don't invite anybody who doesn't believe in pre-trib rapture. They don't want any counter-reasoning. They just want to say what people want to hear. Well, you're going to hear what happened to this fine Christian gentleman. And it wasn't pretty. We'll be back. Have you ever
1: considered what the early church was like? But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
0: Again, I welcome you to Active Viewpoint. Today we're talking about how to reason together as Christians. Is the risk even worth it? Most would answer no. And in answering no, they cancel out anybody who disagrees with their position. I mean, total cancel it out. You thought cancel culture began with the liberals and the progressives? No, it didn't. It began in the church. And it's been going on for a very long time. And I'm going to give you a classic illustration of this. The gentleman that we were referring to before the break was highly respected within the broader evangelical community, the mainline evangelicals uh, in those areas of uh, biblical prophecy Uh, all of those various groups and so on. He was very well respected and recognized. But then there came a time about 25 years ago when he began to be concerned about what he had been teaching and preaching all those years about the rapture. The issue wasn't whether there was a rapture. The issue was when does the rapture take place? And he took two years off to devote himself exclusively to that study. Two years. And after those two years, he came to the conclusion that the pre-trib rapture doctrine that had been taught so freely could not possibly be true. He found no biblical justification for it. That there were no scriptural passages to support it. That it was a concocted kind of uh, teaching sort of patched together and made to seem like it was real. He said, I can't do this anymore. That makes me a false teacher. I cannot do this anymore. So he revealed that to his board of directors of the ministry organization that he started, founded, and built up. Guess what they did? They kicked him out of his own ministry. They canceled him. They were not willing to allow him to even have legitimate viewpoint. They canceled him. Essentially with vitriol. You don't cancel somebody like that if you don't have some sort of vitriol. And they canceled him. Right out of his own business. Right out of his own ministry. So he started over, founded a new one called Zion's Hope. Same focus, different name. And out of his study, he came to the conclusion, as best he could from the Bible, using actual Bible verses to support the idea that the rapture does not occur before a seven-year period called the 70th week of Daniel, Which is not, by the way, called the tribulation. There's nowhere in the Bible that calls it that. That's made up. He said it can't possibly begin then. It has to begin after the Antichrist is revealed. Otherwise, all the warnings of Scripture to believers concerning the Antichrist, concerning the times that are going to be developing, are meaningless. You're not out of here before some of those things take place. That's why Jesus said, he that endures the end shall be saved. You have to endure something. So he came to the conclusion that instead of a pre-trib rapture, it was not even going to be a mid-trib rapture, but actually a pre-wrath rapture. In other words, before the wrath of God, not the wrath of man now, the wrath of God begins to be poured out, which, by the way, you will not see that happening until at the very end of Revelation chapter 6. After that, you'll find the wrath of God mentioned, I think, seven times. Not before then. So he came up with the viewpoint that the best understanding for the rapture and the timing of it would be, Just before God himself pours out his wrath. Not before man pours out his wrath. Before God himself pours out his wrath. Now, remember, he was totally canceled out. Now, there are many, many, many people of honest persuasion and integrity of mind and heart are saying, you know what? I agree with you. We've been snookered, just like uh, following the Pied Piper down the pre-trib rapture path. Everybody was saying it. It it felt good. It made sense to us. We we wanted to believe it. Who wants to go through tribulation? Who wants to go through trials? So we're out of here, really. On what basis? And as I shared with Paul Wozniak last Thursday, even the most prominent proponents, not opponents, proponents, supporters of the pre-trib rapture position, some of the most famous ones, have joined me on this radio program over the years and admitted, humbly, but admitted, that there was no specific scriptural basis for that doctrine. One, when I ask specifically, then why do you keep teaching it? When you admit there is no specific verse or anything that that gives rise to that doctrine, and here was his answer, well, I just believe it. Really, you can just believe that you're going to wake, resting against the ceiling tonight. That doesn't mean you're going to. You see what our problem is? Our problem is that we're not really willing to reason together. Not really. And one of the reasons is because we lack integrity of searching the scriptures. That's what's being challenged, our integrity. I'll tell you one thing yours truly has had to be challenged on several major, major issues that I formerly believed with all my heart. One of them, the pre-trib rapture issue, for 50 years. Until I had to come to the position of sincere belief, this can't possibly be true. I hope it's true, but it can't possibly be true based upon the Bible because it renders all the warnings of Scripture moot. Now, there are three issues, three fundamental issues that divide the church today. Actually, there are more, but there are three biggies. One is the pre-trib rapture issue. Another is predestination, or what some people would call once saved, always saved. Another is divorce and remarriage. Those three issues are so seriously claimed by their proponents that you can't talk about them. I remember writing a piece that was distributed to 300 of our national Christian leaders back in 1996. And it talked, among other things, about the divorce rate in the church. One of the most prominent leaders in the land, If I don't want to mention his name because we're not here to be muckruckers. One of the most prominent leaders in the land. If I mentioned his name, you would be shocked. He wrote me back a snarky little comment. Where's your proof? I had already given the proof. Where's your proof? Then, twice more, I met the gentleman at the religious, national religious Pro, uh, uh, broadcasters' conventions. And <laughs> his attitude was unbelievably snarky argumentative, snarky, belligerent, not willing to converse, not willing to reason together. Just, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe the church has a problem with divorce and remarriage. Yet, all the statistics prove it. But I don't want to believe it, so I'm not going to agree with it. Okay? So you're not going to be part of the answer to the solution then. Because you don't want to believe it, because you're afraid that if you do believe it, you're going to have to say something about it, and then some of the people are going to turn against you and not going to sell as many books. Are you listening? This is how it works. Christian cancel culture. And it goes on and on and on. So, we've had national days of prayer, haven't we? For 50 years, we've had national days of prayer. We have heard Second Chronicles 7.14 preached until we're blue in the face. Till God is probably ready to regurgitate his own word. He's heard it so many times coming back to him. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and heal their land. Forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, we know if we're honest that that message was given directly to Israel. It wasn't given to the church. But I do believe by implication that we can use that as a statement of principle, God's attitude toward us. So in that sense, we'll talk about it from this moment. If my people. Well, National Days of Prayer adopted the end result of that. Heal our land. That was a banner that was passed over all of America. Heal our land. Churches, solemn assemblies everywhere. Heal our land. Well, Then, I guess there was a decision made, well, maybe we should start from the beginning. If my people. Okay? So then we went to if my people. And songs were written, if my people, which are called by my name, and so on. Then, next came, we'll humble themselves and pray. And so we had this massive prayer movement all over America. Somebody actually said, if, you know, there's so much prayer going up, never so much prayer going up, God has to heal our land. That's what was said. Really. He hasn't done it yet. Why? Because we weren't willing to agree with his viewpoint. His viewpoint didn't stop. With pray. As A.W. Tozer once said, prayer is no substitute for obedience. But we didn't want to talk about obedience because the word obedience came from the word obey, which was a four-letter word, and we hated the word obey because it became the most hated word of the church. And among Calvinists, they called it work salvation. So that that was a label that kept people from actually thinking biblically concerning obedience. I'm helping you to understand, friends, how our unwillingness to actually reason biblically has brought us to the brink of disaster. And then, of course, seek his face and finally turn from our wicked ways. We got to seek his face, but we never got to turn from our wicked ways. So I sat before one of the most prominent prayer leaders in the land in 1996 at Fasting and Prayer 96 in a private situation. 4,000 people gathered there. And I said, why is it that we have not once had a theme, Seek His Face or Repent? Would you like to know the answer? It's too negative. Those three words. In other words, the risk isn't worth it. We can't market the National Day of Prayer anymore if we do that. And now you understand the problems that we have in reasoning together, friends. Does this make any sense? Thanks for joining us. You might want to consider getting a copy of my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception, $15 on our website, saveus.org. Thanks for listening, and pray for us.
1: You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge
0: you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.